for this opportunity that you've given us to meet and to be before you to hear what you have to say Lord and and to understand our purpose here on this earth we want to be better and better and better at everything you've given us to do Lord what you expect of us Father is a good thing it's not too much for us it's puts right in our purpose in line with our purpose for being here on this earth and we know that your plan is the only thing that will fulfill us every day so we thank you Lord reveal that to us for each and every one of us, day by day, as we seek you and we walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So we're going to talk more about God's daily plan for you, uh, for your life. We talked about um, the fact that he has given you a plan from the foundation of the earth. And that includes different areas of your life. <clears throat> I started with the family yesterday and uh, for those of you that that um, uh, think a family is a challenge that's pretty much normal uh, for because you're bringing heaven into a situation that doesn't really know anything about heaven isn't accustomed to it when you're saved you're you're the light on the salt in every situation and so God expects us to be faithful to carry salt and light everywhere that we go and, and to uh, affect people in a good way. Uh, sometimes there's conflict in that, and but God has the method to overcome all conflict. It's called love and forgiveness. And so we, we it's all summed up that, that way. Uh, there's nothing that forgiveness won't cover and cleanse and change. And there's nothing that love won't change. And so if we keep ourselves free up from all uh, encumbrances and things that hinder us in our love walk and in our faith and commitment to God uh, we can we can get free and to uh, experience the good life and good results in the good life that God has for us we also mentioned that another area that God has a plan for us is in our local church body and uh, we're all called to one and I, I think it's very very important that we understand how to be faithful there and how to uh, and know what God has called us to do and to fulfill that role. All believers are called to preach the gospel. That means to declare what Jesus Christ has done for you. You must have a personal testimony of God's work in your life and be willing to share that whenever God opens the door for that to happen. Part of, I think, our um, daily contact with God should be to pray that he will open doors for us and pray that we will make ourselves available to do what God has called us to do. Sometimes as ministers we can fall short on personal witnessing and that's a, a, it's a trap that many preachers fall into. Uh, sometimes if you're active in church work you feel that you've done enough and those ideas will come to you. You know, uh, I know they come to me and I really have to fight them. I think to myself, well wait a minute now. This, <laughs> I just walked past somebody and didn't know if they were saved or not. What, what, what am I thinking? There's, that's a subtlety of the carnal mind that will try and make you satisfied with not very much in life not compared to what God has in store for us and so we have to be on guard to resist that and go deeper with God and understand that God has a plan for us to share 
that's what he has done uh, uh, in us with others. Uh, And so it's vitally important that we always uh, keep ourselves hungry for more when it comes to sharing our testimony with uh, other individuals uh, sometimes people will look at you uh, uh, you know with this incredible look on their faces and oh my goodness you were like that and I can't believe it you look so nice and you look so this and well God's done that to me he's, he's made that transformation thank you I appreciate it and, and, and all glory goes to God because this was his design for me from the foundation of the earth I was never designed to be that person that was lost in sin or lost in self or was chronically depressed or a drug user or, or a fornicator or anything like that. I was, I was called to live the life that I'm living now and God is responsible for it. And so there are all kinds of ways that we can share Christ. Uh, another way you can share is through prayer. You can ask people if you can pray for them for certain things. That they're fa- Everybody needs prayer. You almost won't ever offer prayer to somebody if you offer it confidently. Now don't put it out there like prayer is your idea and you're going to get offended if they say no. It needs to come from your spirit as a, uh, as a kind of almost second nature thing that you offer uh, prayer when people are in difficult situations. Um, I remember praying for a young girl that uh, these girls that you know get pregnant out of wedlock. The hotels always got somebody working behind the desk that's pregnant. You know, my religious self won't say, "Why don't you get married? Why do you want to struggle like this?" But I said, "Well, God wants you to have a healthy baby. He saw to it this baby got conceived. He'll take care of the baby if we ask him." You understand what I'm saying? You do what God would have you do. It's not always the time for rebuking people for their lifestyle. Many times people know they're in sin. They know it's not right. This is what the world tells them is okay to do. And you can pray and ask God to soften the hearts of people. God enlighten them and and help them to look for something better. Look for life in you. That kind of thing. And just intercede for them. But here's an innocent life here that needs help to get into the world and so the one girl left when she had her baby she's back now and there's another little girl working with her she's pregnant and she says oh pastor barb come here come here and she tells the girl she said she prayed for my baby just to let her she gotta pray for your baby now she pushes her right over there you see what i'm saying that's what i'm there for i'm not there to hand them a bunch of you know tongue lashing my goodness, I'd be working all day beating people up because they're in sin. You know what I'm saying? And so that that's really not the way to witness and minister. That baby needs help. That mother needs help to be healthy enough uh, to have a normal healthy baby. Uh, she's got alcohol on her breath and cigarette smoke and all that kind of stuff. But you pray for people. You got me. You offer Christ. You offer them Jesus. That's where they they meet the Lord. I always pray for the baby to serve God all the days of his life. That's a blessed life. And so that prayer itself will probably carry over to the mother at some point to remind her that preacher wants my baby to serve God and maybe I should go to church. You understand what I'm saying? Let God handle it from where 
It is. And, and, you know, instead of going to the showers and buying gifts and trying to act like you're happy for them when your heart's broken because they're not saved or something, uh, you know, offer prayer and offer Christ. You know, it's one of our little nieces is... Uh, you know she's expecting and last year she was suicidal we prayed for her and and broke that thing and she's feeling better about herself so maybe this is the way she feels she can have some hope in her life i don't know but uh you pray for her too you know what i'm saying so thanksgiving at my house gets to be a place to pray for all the expectings you know and babies and futures and all of that kind of stuff because everybody needs God's help with something I can't tell you that enough everybody needs God's help and so think about these things when you think about ways to share Christ with people he he didn't preach salvation he preached the kingdom and the kingdom was righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit he told people how to live for him what the kingdom would entail a change in lifestyle uh, it would entail uh, doing things different than the way you can't hate people anymore you gotta love and forgive them uh, you can't retaliate against people you gotta uh, wish them well pray for them and all that kind of stuff so he preached the morality of god's kingdom but he also met people's needs that was the biggest thing because he saw the effects of sin on humanity and he stretched out to reach their need and oftentimes that's what's missing uh, for many christian witnesses is that that thing that lets a person know you know i am important to god when I that when that person prayed for me, I felt something. I felt uh, a burden lift off of me, or I felt peace, or I got hope for the first time. And so there are many, many ways to to witness and to serve Christ. And so offering prayer is something you all are very good at. By now, you've been here long enough to be able to pray the word in every situation that you can think of. So offering prayer is something that you can all do. And uh, that is getting people one step closer to having God revealed to them. So never underestimate the power of your prayer, your intercession uh, for a person uh, right there on the spot. You know, once you let us pray for you, you know, God wants to help you with this. And I'm not sure what he's going to do, but I know he's going to do something because he had us run into one another and he wants me to pray for you. And just, you know, let them hear you pray ask God to make people open to let you hear that let them hear you pray for them let them hear those words that you a blessing that you speak out over their lives let them hear uh the words uh in, in you know of worship and in, in thanking god for answering and, and asking god to answer speedily father i know you want to do this and you want to do it now because you wouldn't have had me run into this person if you didn't want to move in their life and i thank you for that just just be open to bless god and bless that person and see where that will take you you know that's that's something that's very very powerful uh when it comes right at the time when a person needs it so and there's so much more that i'm asking god to use me to do uh we need to be effective in this community so that we can uh affect uh the neighborhoods and people can know that we're a church where they can come get their needs met we're a church that loves people and wants to help people and so that's that's something that we 
we are are stepping into now and so we we we're going to do that folks we're going to do it you're going to see people come as a result of your witness so don't you know get that depression hanging over you as when will it change you it'll change when we get out and change it and so we're doing that so as much as we share christ with people in this neighborhood and wherever we go uh the more we'll see the results of it so amen so that's something that we really need to do so in god has a plan for you in your church and we said that his plan was not to overwhelm you if you feel overwhelmed you need to talk to god and you need to get an understanding of uh, what he expects you to do sometimes we're so accustomed to uh, hearing about problems or, or getting bad news and, and carrying that you don't need to carry it anywhere you just need to give it over to the Lord uh, through prayer and, and get in your word and get reassured that God will do something about what you're, what you're facing. You know, find out what God's word says. I know sometimes we can start out reading the word and not know where you're going in the bible and all of a sudden certain scriptures will start to lift off the page or pop out to you uh from from uh from what god wants to speak to you in your heart and so you have to take that as an answer to what uh what your need is and and then go from there always know that god has the answer he had it before the problem came and so the the situation or the problem is just new to you it's not new to god and it's not taking him by surprise and so always be confident when things come up that god has a solution he has an answer and the answer is on the way and you got to pursue now the answer so that you can get where god wants you to go so if you uh, uh, you need to understand that when God uh, gives you something to do for him that you are qualified and you are ready to do it you are qualified and you are ready I always say stuff like well God will do tweak it a little bit you know <laughs> I'm talking about your assignment in your local assembly so you know you've, uh, many times people don't like the job they're given to do in their church and all of that but if you look at uh, the first church that God built and that was the tabernacle in the wilderness uh, uh, Moses it says that he called upon people with the different skills that were needed to complete all of the work that was needed so God is not going to give you work to do that they there aren't the people qualified to do it uh, right there in that assembly and many times it just took people with willing hands uh, people with uh, some some uh, and God knew what what everybody had. He knew he knows what's in your bank account. He knows what's in your sock. He knows what's everywhere. And so uh, people, but the Bible says they brought willingly of their uh, possessions, and Moses had to turn them away from giving because they gave more than enough so i believe that's true in every house of god and every work of god there's more than enough everything 
to get accomplished whatever God wants to have done. Sometimes people will feel well we don't have enough of something but I think if you take the next step of faith that God has for you whatever it is that's lacking will show up. It's just sometimes we're too far away from it and we need to walk a step closer to it in order to get that ample provision that is there. Uh, God also had different types of craftsmen in that congregation. There were people that knew how to do uh, iron work and bronze work and, and uh, carpenters that knew how to build. And You know you didn't go down to... Uh, um, the lumber yard and uh, or to the mill and get your lumber you had to go and cut down trees and so carpenters were really lumberjacks too by trade because you had to get your your wood uh, in the natural state and so these were people who had to be physically capable of doing the work that God had put before him and so he never had anybody who wasn't uh, skilled and qualified to do all of the work that was needed in that tabernacle that was being built and I believe he does the same thing now I know we've we've never been um, lacking in uh, uh, people who were able to do everything that needed to be done now sometimes we needed to bring in outside help because you have a deadline or something like that or there may be a specialty like plumbing or electrical you might have to hire a few things out but for the most part people who are sent are the people who are there to do the work and if we know how to employ them uh, we'll be able to keep them in employ oftentimes uh, if you don't use it you lose it and so I would say make yourself available to God uh, and he will always keep your your uh, gifts your abilities all of that uh, in operation and you'll stay in good health you'll stay in a place where you can always have uh, employment all of those things if you make it available first and foremost to God so because God never overwhelms us and uh, we're we're always qualified to do what we're assigned to do. Uh, you can experience lack of 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 confidence because of your own mindset. Anytime you feel that you can't do something or you don't have the ability to do something, uh, it's because you really aren't understanding that when God called you to do something, he called you qualified. He called you able, qualified, fit, all of those things. Uh, He doesn't call, um, you know, people have these little phrases, God never calls the qualified, he qualifies the called or something like, you got something to offer to don't get don't get squirrely with that what they're talking about is that when you make yourself available to God you will need wisdom you will need direction you will need the grace you will need some instruction I call that tweaking it's not like he's rebuilding you you're like a a nothing blob somewhere and he has to rebuild you and reshape you he is merely adding his essence into your natural abilities so that that gets turned into supernatural ability and supernatural uh, uh, power to do these things to God's specifications 
And so God has a standard uh, and we need to find out what that is. Sometimes God's grace is sufficient. He'll say you do the best you can and I won't cause people to notice the flaws in it. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, and that'll happen a lot. Like I'll, I'll um, I used to, uh, I'd be in the kitchen sometimes if we, you know, families cooking together. That you know, after the uh, little shavers, my nieces and nephews grew up. And then they got to be a little bit grown in the kitchen. And if something would go wrong, everybody would look at me. And and so what that meant. And then Bridget said one, one time, she said, she said, well, it's time to do your magic, you know, which means they're out of ideas. But they look to me to fix it, and I can always fix it. I can tell you there nothing happens in there that I can't fix because of God. You understand, because of God, I rely on him to give me instruction. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, let me think. My world won't come to an end if you don't like what I cooked you for dinner. Some people's will. You see what I'm saying? There's too much of them involved in it. There's too much of them offended if they get a bad reaction or something like that see when you take yourself out of things and you allow God to have total freedom with it it frees you up to make mistakes and if if they are made you know God will help you correct it so then it gets to be a work that you can glorify God in because you're not looking for anything out of the deal and so you know <laughs> I'll sometimes I'll make statements I say if y'all don't like it go on go cook your own food you know that kind of stuff just just as a way of making people at ease or something like that you know not don't take it so seriously it's only food and if you keep it on that level and don't get yourself all worked up like Martha you know oh I'm overwhelmed Lord make somebody help me and I don't don't go there you know what I'm saying it's it's not worth it because after the dinner's over people say man this chick complain the whole time and it shows in the food and so so you know if you you approach things in a casual mentality about it but yet confident that God will help you uh, then things will work out okay you know they'll always work out okay you know I prayed over things before I, I was making something recently I know I think it was for an empowerment meeting or something and I made the meatballs and I didn't need to put as much salt in them and I made two samples they were both salty I said well I don't need three witnesses to this this has got too much salt in it and immediately it came to me to put water in the pan instead of frying them put them in the oven cover them with water and by the time they got done that water had extracted all the salt out of them they were fine but if I had panicked and oh, what am I going to do? You don't do that when God, when you rely on God to help you with things. I rely on Him to help me do everything, folks. I don't do anything. I'm not out here to prove. At my age, I don't have to prove what I can do to nobody. You understand what I'm saying? Least of all, God. He knows what I could do if I don't trust him. And so, you know, we, we live like that for a season. And so it, it, it's, it's an honor to be able to know you can, you can rely on God. Everything's fixable. He saw me putting extra salt in there. When I put it in there, he didn't stop me because he knew he had a better plan. 
See it's better to know God can fix things sometimes instead of trying to figure out how to get him to do things perfectly through you all the time. See if you can go another step now you get confidence and boldness to step out and boldly go where nobody's gone before. If you know God can fix it if you don't do it right the first time. That is true about everything. God's a fixer. He definitely is. Not that we intentionally try to mess up. You do the best you can. But sometimes that's not good enough. It doesn't get the job done. And so you've got to go back to God again. God, I messed up somewhere. What do I do? This is not right. It's not turning out right. What gives? And always go to God. Never be too proud to go to God and confess your fault and, and admit that um, that you need his help didn't work out right this time God this seems like a hot mess <laughs> I remember ministering to young men that worked at the hotel and uh, I told him I said you know God I said God's after you I said he's pursuing you so that you can serve him and uh, as I began to minister to him, I said, you know, I said, he's showing me that you are turned off by people you've seen in church. I said, they're people that pretend to know God. I said, and they don't really know him. They're hypocrites. I said, and it's keeping you from doing what God wants you to do. And he just started to weep. He said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I said, no, it's okay. You know, <laughs> men do cry. <laughs> I made every man I met cried. No. <laughs> I leave them weeping. Or whatever. But anyway, I told him, I said, God's softening your heart. I said, because he loves you. I said, and you're going to serve God. I said, he'll get you past this place in your life where, where you'll be able to serve him and to serve him without fear. And he's one of these people, he comes in, goes, comes and goes, pops in and pops out. But I told him one day you're going to be stable where God has you. I said, and, and God will teach you his ways. I said, you'll love God and you'll be able to withstand all of this uh, distraction that the enemy puts before you. So, you know, there there are things that, uh, you know, and, and when I didn't see him anymore, I thought to myself, the thought always comes to you. This is the devil. Did I say something wrong? You know, what did I say? No, you did everything under the anointing. So I'm not running around here trying to figure out and make up words for people. You know, he asked for prayer and and so I prayed for him. And so... These are the things that are life changing for people. You won't see the fruit all the time right away. But know that when the anointing shows up and you obey God as best you can, you've done the best you can. And that's all you need to do. You're just a messenger. You're not the message. You are the messenger. So. When God called Moses, and I will use this for an example of how God will never exempt you from what he calls you to do, but he will give you help. God never tells anybody in the Bible that he calls that it's okay not to serve him. So don't ever let the enemy uh, trick you 
into thinking that I, I can do this, but I don't have to do that. I can do this, but I don't have to do that. I can, and see, sometimes this is the reason why our results are sporadic because our hearts divided and our minds telling us it is okay not to do certain things uh, you know and, and to exempt ourselves from from certain things because we got a good excuse for it once the excuses start it's really difficult to root them out of your life because you begin to develop a defense a defense in your mind where you don't want anybody to intrude on that little stronghold that you built to protect yourself from the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you're not doing things according to the way God wants you to do them. So in Exodus 4, uh, you'll see where God called Moses. He called him in, in chapter 3. And uh, he tells Moses, take his shoes off. You're on holy ground. Uh, Moses was not raised as a Hebrew. He was raised as an Egyptian. So he doesn't know anything about this God. He knows that's the God of his ancestors. But that's about as much as he does know. He doesn't know that he's called to the priesthood. He doesn't know any of those things yet. And so and he's been living like a, a renegade Egyptian for 40 years. He's been running from Pharaoh because he's guilty of murdering an Egyptian uh, that many years ago. God calls him at the proper time in his life where God feels that the time is right for him to do uh, his ministry for the Lord. Uh, whenever you're called in God's kingdom, you're there at the right time. Uh, when you're born again, that's the right time for you to be born again. When you're uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's the right time for you to be baptized, etc., etc. And so it, it's a good thing to know that God's always on time with everything. Thing. Uh, if you're not on time, he'll let you know. <laughs> he'll let you know. You know, you resisted me here, you resisted me there, and I finally got you, kind of thing. So, but uh, God can also accelerate His plan in your life. But it begins when you say yes to God. And so, uh, in in chapter three, Moses kind of gets to know God a little bit, and he, God tells him what He wants him to do, and Moses questions him because he's ignorant of God's ways. It just is. He doesn't know anything about God. In verse in chapter four, uh, Moses talks to God. He says, "What if they don't believe me or listen to me, and say the Lord didn't appear to you?" So Moses wants to make sure that he's equipped with answers. And so uh, most of us are that way. We want to fill up the what if. That shows lack of faith and lack of confidence in God. And God knows it. So God then has to kind of instill some confidence at least enough to get us going and get us to the first base. If we never say yes to God and get initial confidence to obey him, you don't get any further. He only gives you enough faith to obey the immediate command. He's not When God tells you you're going to speak before multitudes of people and you're going to do this and going to do that, you don't step into that right away. You step into maybe cleaning the bathroom or making sandwiches. 
or something like that. You understand me? Uh, seldom do people who are called of God for the purpose of preaching just preach without any training of their natural man to obedience to God in small things. We all have to start as a seed. A seed is very important. See, it's real important for us to understand how growth happens so that we'll have a realistic understanding of who we are and how we develop. It's just there's no reason for God to hide that from us and automatically put us in a pulpit with thousands of people there. Sometimes you'll do thousands, sometimes you'll do very small groups. You'll do all of them. And I know some people think that that's not a part of their call, like some people uh, who have, uh, um, you know, large TV ministries, so forth and so on. If God tells those people to go to a remote area and preach to a handful of tribal people, they have to do that as well. And so somehow we get this idea, just looking at that stuff, that we outgrow our need for small ministry. But people are people. If there's tons of them or if there's small numbers of them, people are still people. And God wants all people reached. And if you're the one that has the gift that's going to reach them, God will send you to do exactly those things so when uh, Moses begins to talk to God and get his questions answered he's ignorant about things so he has to uh, ask some crazy questions and but God gives him answers and uh, so in uh, 4 verse 1 what if they don't believe me or listen to me or say that God didn't appear to you Lord said what's that in your hand and that's a very very important question because we all possess something God uses what you have, not what you don't have. He can't use what you don't have. If you will give everything over to him day one, you won't have a problem trying to figure out how you're going to accomplish anything. He already has possession of everything you have. The other thing too is he can't make you give it to him. You have to surrender it voluntarily. So God isn't a, a thief. He's not uh, a rapist. He's not uh, uh, an extortionist. He's not a bully. Uh, He wants your will involved in things. If he doesn't have your will involved in it, it won't work for you or for him. So God told him, Moses said, I got a staff. He told him to throw it on the ground. When he did, it became a snake. And Moses ran from it. And the Lord said to him, take the snake by the tail. So Moses did that. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. Moses put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. He said, now put it back in. Moses put his hand back in. When he took it out, it was restored. Now what is God doing showing him these things? Not that he can do magic or that he can do the supernatural. But God is showing him, Moses, you think you're a disaster. Because you don't know this, you don't know that. You don't know this. You don't know that. He said, but I'm showing you that if you do something and mess it up, I can fix it. Can you? Can everybody see that? Now, if you can't see it, let me explain it to you. 
when the, the thing became a snake it was a mess it was a hot mess Moses looked at it and said oh Lord what have I done I'd have messed up now God said no nah, let me show you something when you work for me I'll show you how to make it right again see I can repair anything God told him how to pick that thing up and it turned right back into a proper instrument that he could use again so what God's showing you under your power the things you have are dangerous but under mine they work right and if you get in there and get confused and mess it up you call on me and I can fix it you got me so he shows Moses don't be afraid of making a mistake because I am a fixer I can fix all of your mistakes and I'm willing to fix all of your mistakes because that's the main thing Moses is scared of he keeps asking God well what if 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 he knows he's not qualified from his point of view but God's giving him assurance when I'm with you I can fix anything you screw up don't be afraid to get out and do some things in my name and so he says if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign they'll believe the second one God says I got a lot of them amen so I can I can play to any confusion and see this should reassure us because when we go out to witness for God we're thinking what do I say how do I approach people how do I open my what's the first thing that come out of my mouth? we try to rehearse what we're going to say and the best thing is just go out and let God show you somebody and just get involved and start a conversation God is this the one and so just speak to him say hi how you doing it's good to see you you know did you know we we just started a church over here we want to invite you to it i'm i'm hoping you'll come you know that kind of thing and and that's all you do you you approach people like normal people but know that when god tells you to do something if you screw it up he can fix it you just have to go to him and ask for the fixing you always have to ask for the fixing don't just assume and you say God you know I want to do better if that wasn't okay please help me uh, but fix that for me Lord you know if you need to send somebody else I'm praying another laborer show up in that person's life and that they will come to know you so once God shows Moses that he can fix things then he tells him that any sign that those people need to be shown he's willing to do it and he says he gives him examples of some of the signs that are going to take place now why would God do that to Moses so he won't be shocked when they show up see if you're going to do miracles and the supernatural on behalf of God he has to give you a preview of what his supernatural is like so he'll give you a vision give you a dream he'll give you uh, uh, a, a an expectation he'll speak something to you sometimes it'll come as a prayer out of your mouth and you'll think you thought it up to ask God but really he was the one to put that desire in your heart so that you could speak it out so that he could use your faith to accomplish it and so these are the ways that God lets us know he's with us he's always reassuring us he's always doing the best and so God tells him he says in verse 9 he says you're going to take the water from the Nile River it's going to become blood on the ground Moses said pardon your servant Lord I have never been eloquent 
See, after all this, God shown him his supernatural power. Moses, what more do you want? Oh yeah, I'm feeling sorry for myself because, uh, you know, once God knocks all the other stops out from all your out of excuses out. Okay, I got this one out of the way. Got that. What's next, Moses? Oh, the big gun, the pity spirit. Huh? Oh, I got too much to do, God. I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. <laughs> his last resort is, I don't know how to talk like them Hebrews. Hmm? I'm not eloquent in the Hebrew language. God wasn't calling him for his eloquence. Mm-hmm. He's calling a gift. A gift can be wrapped in any kind of language, any kind of skin color, any kind of gender. It can be wrapped any kind of way God wants it to be wrapped. He's calling your gift. He's not. Don't ever let who you are in the natural be a hindrance to what your spiritual life is. God knew you were female when he called you or male when he called you. He knew you were uh, a, a person of color when he called you or a white person when he called you. He knows the color of your skin. It doesn't matter to him. He calls a gift. He doesn't call a skin color or anything like that or language. He says, God, God said, he, he, Moses said, I, I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And a lot of people interpret that as stuttering, but it, there's no evidence that that's true. It, it, you know, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it says Moses was mighty in word and deed, but in the culture of the Egyptians. So he spoke the language of the Egyptians, which he was fluent at, but because he was not raised as a Hebrew, he didn't know the Hebrew language. So God says, I'll let your brother interpret. There's always an interpreter. You got me? There's always somebody. If God calls you, there's somebody to get your message across to people if you have to face people that you're not familiar with their language. So it says, you're, but please send somebody else. That's the final self-pity. Self-pity is always the big gun we pull out. When we think that we can convince somebody that they picked the wrong person or we just make up our mind we don't want to be a part of any of this stuff. We'll start trying to get somebody to feel sorry for us for what we have to do. Got me? Uh, That's a death sentence to anybody who's going to work for God. Feeling sorry for yourself. Coddling yourself. Being careful about yourself. Being concerned about you is a death sentence for anybody who's called of God. Because that's what you're trying to bury yourself in, is in self-pity. Because if I, if I give him this big excuse, it's the big one now, if I give him this one, he's going to leave me alone. That's what we think. And so we pull out the big gun. Or you know, or people will do this sometimes, and and I, I I've seen people do this. Like if I'll ask them to do something, well, see, I'm not real uh, anointed like you are. So this don't take anointing. This just take hands, take feet. <laughs> Can you lick a stamp? Huh? Can you close an envelope? Huh? Then they get angry because you didn't fall for their manipulation. It's a little witchcraft on the side. A little witchcraft on the side. And what they're doing is trying to put you off and get that 
pressure of conviction to to accept what God wants them to do to get that off of them so that they don't they think once they said no to a human being who represents God that they said no to God but God still has called you what are you going to do about you can you can bypass me if you want to but what are you going to do about him he's still God and if he told you to do something he still expects you to do it and so we can't worm out of these things the best thing to do is to say yes Lord I'll do it Lord yes Lord I'll accept it Lord yes Lord those are the most two most powerful words that will ever come out of your mouth is yes Lord or I will I'm willing and so if you'll do that God will take care of the rest don't let your evaluation of yourself hinder you from being what God called you to be because you have no idea of what's in store for you if you'll give yourself over 100% to the Lord refuse self-pity God will give you help but he will never give you an exemption from what he's called you to do you'll never be exempt from doing what God has called you to do in fact many times you'll find even if you walk away for, from it for years that same task is, will face you if you ever come back to the Lord and decide by that time you'll be so grateful to do anything for God it won't bug you about it so you know I've seen that happen to people and so God wants us to be effective and powerful uh, in our church life and uh, just really uh, um really be totally sold out and devoted to God in every aspect and every way um, I, I was thinking about sharing uh, some things I was um, I've started on a <laughs> I got about 30 books I've started you know what I'm saying I just read them in chunks and segments until they just get slow or boring or I get as much but I uh, was given this book by someone who uh, knows this gentleman personally his name is Stanley Tam and he is a uh, a lay minister in the Baptist church um, but his story is just so interesting uh, we had a book um, uh, crowns for the wise when we did that one on soul winning uh, and empowerment it will remind you of of that gentleman but it this is a his story from beginning of his Christian walk to you know we're bringing us up to today uh, he's about a hundred years old right now and uh, somebody the person that gave me this book asked me if I'd ever met him because he lives in Ohio somewhere I'm not sure where in Ohio but uh, she said she said oh I gotta take you to meet him one time she said I, I've talked to him several she said it's just so interesting to talk to you he, I, I looked and saw when he was born I said we better get to getting because he's about 100 you know what I'm saying <laughs> he's about 100 now and so but anyway he has some very very interesting insights uh, for a normal lay person who uh, gave his life to Christ and how he's walked with God as, as carefully and closely as he can he's recorded many of his conversations with God which are, are very very insightful uh, and it's let you see how quickly God can reverse problems in your life give you answers if you'll just 
trust him to do it and step right into to the doing of things. Uh, he he sums up his book as as giving you an understanding of how the negatives in his life turned into positives, and how God became vital to him, and faith in God became the premise for all his activities. So he's one of those people who lives by faith, but it's a very simple. Uh, kind of faith it doesn't try to sound real high powered dy- dynamic like you can't do it yourself but it's very reachable and very normal and very very uh, uh, just insightful how he just fumbled and found his way uh, through uh, through these different situations that he gives that happen throughout his life so uh, let me see I'll probably share a little bit more in the future but but I thought I would share how his heart was converted to Christ and how he solved simple problems uh, that he found in his Christianity when he was uh, a young man uh, he talks about his family um, he was a young man a teenager during the depression in the 30s and uh, he said his family always had this knack for business for buying and selling and so uh, he starts out with um, trying to think what he sold first I think something about some his family had been prospectors so he always had this thing about metals precious metals and and things of that nature and so he was working collecting uh, metal objects and then reselling them and uh, and this was as as like a a teenage boy and he had started making pretty good money at it and he, he started his own little business you know and gave it a name and everything and so he was always interested in having his own business but he was so because the times were so hard so that was all he thought about he just was was avid about getting a dollar having a dollar I think when he was 16 he bought his first car uh, and and then a year later he had a second car so he wound up with two cars he's this kid running around the neighborhood with two cars but anyway um, he he sold one of the cars for fifteen dollars and uh, he, the man that bought it took the, uh, gave him a down payment and told him he would pay him the rest sometime later. He made the mistake of signing the deed over to the man. He never saw him again. And so he has this desire to prosper and do well, but he realizes there are problems with it and there's pitfalls in there so so these kinds of things uh, can kind of haunt your Christian walk if, if they're not settled and, and so throughout his testimony I kind of see where these things keep cropping up you know pitfalls and trouble and stuff like that but after he yields to the Lord and gets a plan uh, from God for his life he kind of settles in to letting God handle these things the title of this book is that God owns my business and so uh, he goes from a young kid 
It doesn't know God until finally he gets converted and he understands uh, how to yield himself to God and his life keeps being one adventure in yielding to God in different situations after the other. And that's really the life of every believer. We go from, you never can say, I got it made and I know and nothing is going to come into my life that's going to overwhelm me. I know God well enough that, you know, that kind of stuff. You don't get cocky every the life of faith is not like that life of faith is looking for God at every turn and expecting him to come for you but you never know uh, exactly how it's going to turn out if there's a trial how long is it going to be uh, you know you'll make it through but you know you, you and sometimes we have to get pass the loss and get over into recovery mode because if we keep thinking about things that we've lost we'll never recover and so uh, his is just an interesting story Uh, he and a young man who lived in his neighborhood were uh, um, uh, taking his the young man's aunt needed a ride somewhere and and while she's in the car she's telling them about the Lord and she's telling them uh, that they're sinners they're wayward boys you know you need the Lord why don't you go up forward in church he's a regular church attendee because his parents believe in it Uh, he said there's a lot of confusion and strife in his home but that's only because the parents don't take the time to really take the things of God seriously but they make sure the children go and so he goes to church their services on Sunday are uh, he goes to uh, Sunday school in the morning and their service uh, later and then they have a service in the evening so really all day Sunday is spent in church uh, he says that when she talks to him he starts thinking his conscience starts bothering him and so he makes up his mind he tells her uh, nephew that uh, he says when are you going to go up in church which, which Sunday have you picked out a Sunday where you're going to go up and, and answer the call you know and give your life to Christ and the nephew says oh I'll do it one day and he said he asked me he said did you send a date yet and he said yeah I think I'll do it this Sunday and so he does it that Sunday and he says he sees all the people weeping and and uh, you know all of these things but he doesn't feel anything in fact he is filled with doubt about what just has occurred to him and so uh, if you'll just be patient and bear with me I'll share what he says about his early conversion and how he gets beyond the level of doubt over into faith in God and I, as I was reading this I thought about something and I said God I wonder how many people that had the sinner's prayer prayed for them and still doubt never get to the place where they're really converted and get that out because I see people that I've known uh, even in this ministry who have been faithful to God and served faithfully and yet something happens a crisis happens and they quit and walk away from God and so that doesn't happen to people who are converted see when you're converted your soul has gone from fighting God and doubting God to now acceptance the good and the bad you understand what I'm saying there is no too much for a converted soul let me put it this way if your soul is converted there's no such thing as things have gotten so bad that you walk away from 
from God or walk away from your responsibilities in your church or the people of God or anything like that. You've invested too much if you're converted. If you really put in what you were supposed to put in, you've got too much invested in what you've been doing to just drop it and walk away from it and say there's something better you need to be doing you know I just don't believe that I think that is for people who have never ever been sold out and they're still looking for something they're looking for meaning they're looking they got questions they don't know how to get them answered they got questions but they're ashamed to say they've got them and so they live in this dark place in their souls where they're that something's nagging at them and that never gets answered until you come clean before God and get it so this is where this young man is so I thought I'd share that with you because I thought it was interesting how this young man and it'll help you in in your personal life yes but also in ministering to other people that, that have questions and doubts never get angry with people because of what they may bring forth as a consideration or a concern so it says here it says it's good to have honest doubts honest doubts not suspicious ones honest ones the bible tells us to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good so you can prove everything you can ask god about anything and let him show you what the truth is the genuine conversion experience involves an enormous vault from the finite to the infinite during which time the convert remains essentially the same person he was before if he was impatient he remains impatient if he had a quick temper he doesn't suddenly overcome it whatever his personality weaknesses he retains them but there is one tremendous difference through the presence of the Holy Spirit Christ begins a process of change if any man be in Christ the Bible assures us he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new a man begins building on a new foundation so really the only thing that's different now is your foundations changed you may be the same person with the same flaws habits etc but your foundations different and that foundation is Jesus Christ but the Bible also tells us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we have a foundation we build upon that foundation it is a wonderful transforming experience it begins in a moment and lasts for a lifetime true my Christian faith has never been what you would call an emotional experience my preference is to look at a proposition squarely analyze it put it to the test believe what I see to be true and reject what I find to be untrue God dealt with me on this basis he makes no two people alike and I suspect a lot of folks get into religious maladjustment because they think faith is a synonym for conformity not realizing that whereas faith in Christ makes us eligible for the most rewarding of all human fellowship God never intended to make any two Christians exactly alike I did have initial doubts it bothered me the sameness in my personality during those post-conversion days yet I knew something had happened I had taken God at his word 
The Bible pointed an unwavering finger at my need, proclaimed the redemption made possible through Christ's life and death and resurrection, and assured me that simply by committing my life to Christ in an act of childlike faith, I had become a son of God. The Bible holds the key. I will always remember the words of the counselor who helped me come into the come to the point of decision at the church altar. Assurance is in, in God's word, but not it's not in our hopes or feelings. Assurance is in God's word, not in our hopes or feelings. This is the whole purpose of the Bible, to state God's conditions and provisions, not only for the beginning of the life in Christ, but also for the continuity of this life. Very frankly, as I have indicated, the earliest moments of my Christian experience involved uncertainty and frustration. But as I began studying the Bible, these doubts dissipated and the solidity of faith took their place. But only the word of God can lead us into this assurance and progressive maturity. Hmm? Only the word of God can do that. Participation in church activities should play an important role in every Christian's life. Many times a good sermon has stimulated me to higher spiritual aspirations. I'm old-fashioned enough to believe adults should attend Sunday school. But until a man learns how to get along with the Bible, how to dig into its inexhaustible treasures for inspiration and counsel and guidance, he cannot hope to experience spiritual maturity. Now, of course, I'm aware of the maelstrom of arguments surrounding the Bible these days. Is it the word of God or does it merely contain the word of God? Has it become a, a best, at best some kind of historical record of man's relentless search for meaning beyond himself? Frankly, I have neither the time nor the scholarly background to participate in the discussion. But this, by this, I do not mean... To say there is no place for honest debate, that we must blindly cling to dogma, even though reason may be at a complete odds with that dogma. If the Bible is the living word of God, it is equal to whatever test of accuracy men may feel inclined to give it. All I can say, and this I can say with resounding certainty, is that from the outset of my conversion, the Bible became my constant guide and companion. Through the years, I have made a practice of rising before the rest of the family in order to be able to spend a half hour to an hour and sometimes more reading my Bible and permitting its truth to permeate my thinking. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In simple language, this means you cannot generate or conjure or philosophize the Christian faith. This faith comes from only one source, the word of God. I'm convinced a lot of argument over the validity of the scriptures would evaporate if men would come to the Bible in humility, realizing their need of divine light, recognizing the Bible as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and let God convict and cleanse and motivate through his word. Pardon me if I seem to transgress theological grounds in saying this, but I suspect God purposely made it difficult for the intellectual mind to accept the Bible as his inspired book. The crossing of the Red Sea, 
the experiences of Jonah, miracles of the New Testament, all of these have a disciplinary effect upon the quest for faith, compelling us to come to God in humble childlike wonder, recognizing that he is God and that nothing is impossible for him. But let us leave theological controversy for others. Instead, I want to suggest to you a function of Bible exploration which has been of utmost significance to me. It's important to read and study the Bible, but one can do this and still miss the real reason God gave this record of his mind and heart to us. The key to unlocking the inspiration held in the boundless reservoir of the Bible's pages is meditation. I often spend an hour on one verse of the Bible, possibly one phrase or one word. I ask God to make the meaning clear to me, not the theological meaning or the doctrinal meaning, but the relevance of this nugget of truth to my own life. What does it say in terms of guidance? Does it point out a weakness in my personality which needs to be corrected? Is it a window showing me the greatness of my Lord in display of magnitude I have not seen before? In meditation, the Bible amplifies its significance to the Christian. Through meditation, the book becomes intimately relevant. So God's word not only provided firm ground on which to plant my faith, but I began to sense heartening changes in my life. My negative attitude took a positive trend. I became more outgoing, more poised, more aware of the purpose of life. The promises contained in the Bible became a part of my frame of reference. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Nugget promises such as these challenge me to prove for myself that God does indeed wish not only to intercept our paths, but also to walk beside us on those paths. I began to trust God for simple things, to help me start my car on cold mornings, to lead me to sales contracts, to show me how both to make ends meet and at the same time slowly expand my marketing potential. By this time, I had begun my earliest explorations of the silver business and the vicissitudes involved tested the tensile strength of my new faith. Only by using faith are we kept from losing it. Only by using faith are we kept from losing it. And to use faith is to lose the unbelief which so often hinders God's intervention in the lives of his children. See what he says? Like those little little things that we can do if we can do them in the natural. Just try faith. You know, don't do it that same old way anymore. Try putting God in it and see where he will lead you. See, there's two ways you can do anything. You can do it in the natural or you can use supernatural faith in God. Always cho- choose the road of faith because your faith won't grow if you don't use it. Why keep doing it the same old way all the time? My faith was put to use as I struggled to learn the art of walking with God daily. On one sales trip down in Ohio and Kentucky, things went poorly for me. I decided to head home. After filling up with gas in Athens, Ohio, I had 78 cents left. Now let me let me see which year this is because I believe this is still the 1930s that he's talking about. He's just near, uh, I think it is, it's not quite 
it's still the 1930s. So he said, how much did he say he had left? 78 cents left. Discouraged, I drove out into the highway, grateful that I had sufficient fuel to make it back to Lima. Ten miles down the road, my motor became noisy. Obviously, a rod was about to burn out. Slowing to a crawl, I nursed the engine into a small town up ahead and stopped at a garage on the outskirts. Yep, said the proprietor, you got a burnt rod. I ain't too busy this morning, so I'll fix it for you. How much, I asked fearfully. Oh, let's see now. He looked at the motor puckered his lips he was friendly enough but obviously not given to charity when it comes to figuring a price 10 bucks sound fair enough my heart sank please god i prayed silently what am i gonna do i don't have ten dollars a little short of cash the man asked i nodded where do you live lima he shook his head nope he said can't give credit that far away you may be as honest as a preacher but to tell you the truth i had a preacher skip out on me a good sum <laughs> i thought to myself my, myself my god shall supply all your needs the promise fruition of my dependence upon the bible as a source of faith came to my thoughts i claimed it in silent affirmation and in my heart came a whispered assurance that somehow god would meet my need he did how much money you got the mechanic asked i told him he had obviously thought he might work some deal but my financial straits were far too stringent looking at me half pitying half disgusted he turned and began walking away please god i prayed suddenly the man turned around pointing he said see that high school on the hill they've got a mechanics class up there that works on cars and it don't cost a thing a little rough on my business for a time till folks saw these boys can't be expected to be dependable but they fix your your uh, car good enough to make it to lima i'd reckon in a few hours i was headed for home once more I remember coming. You see how faith works? It refuses to give up. See, most people would have shrugged, walked away, and started crying or just sat there and done nothing. But he, because he had spent time meditating on the word, those promises kept ministering to him and kept coming up in his mind and his heart and helping him to hold on because God was going to do something for him. It says, I remember coming into a store one morning desperately in need of making a sale and placing my display on the counter. The proprietor seemed to like what he saw and for a moment I thought he would sign. Then abruptly he said no and assumed an air of wanting me to leave as quickly as possible. I was keenly disappointed. I dealt exclusively with photographers and x-ray labs, which meant only a few sales prospects in any given town, and this shop was something of a last hope. Yet, though I needed business, an assuring peace came to my heart. God knew my needs. He had not forgotten me. All things work together for good to them that love God is his promise. So I smiled, bid the man a good day, and turned to leave. Wait a minute, young man, he called out. I hesitated at the door. Come back here. I returned to the counter. 
I get a little tired of salesmen, he said. They butter you all up, and if you don't buy, they act like snakes. I've all but had my fill of it, but to tell you the truth, I sort of like that idea of yours, but I got this bellyful attitude about salesmen. Only there's something different about you, something real different. He became one of my steady customers. In conjunction with my work of stopping at photo studios, studios, I struck into the sideline of picking up outdated negatives. When you have your picture taken, the photographer files the negative hoping for repeat business. After five years or so, however, he presumes you're no longer interested and discards the file. I took to picking up those old negatives, taking them to a firm in Valparaiso, Indiana, which had a process whereby they washed off the gelatin emulsion, leaving the celluloid, which could be cut into squares and sold to billful manufacturers as identification covers. It provided a good sideline for my sales forays, often covering gas and oil. On another of those occasions, when I had run precariously low on cash, I rooted my homeward on US 30 so I could stop in Valparaiso with some $80 worth of old negatives no trivial amount in those days arriving at the reclamation plant I took my salvage to the warehouse got a slip and went to the office for my money we'll send it to you the girl said I'd like to have it now I told her I'm sorry the boss is out of town today there's nobody here to sign the check look I exclaimed I'm broke That's too bad, she said with very little sympathy in her voice. I waited a moment. She returned to her work. I went outside. Actually, I wasn't dead broke. I had about two gallons of gas in the car and exactly 13 cents in my pocket. Lima was 180 miles down the road. (laughs) I could leave the car, hitchhike home, but that would mean coming back all the way, all the way back when I got the money. I breathe a prayer of asking God for guidance. Feeling impressed to start for home, I got into the car, drove a couple of blocks, then glanced at the faltering gas gauge. It seemed pointless to drive farther. So pulling off to the side, I bowed my head over the steering wheel and prayed again. Once more came a strong conviction to keep driving. But Lord, I reasoned, there's only two gallons of gas in the tank and 13 cents in my pocket. But the conviction remained. There was a hamburger shop across the street. There was the era, that was the era of the nickel burger. So I decided to get some nourishment. After one hamburger and a glass of water, I had eight cents left. Somewhat reluctantly, I drove to a filling station. Look, I hedged, you uh, wouldn't sell me eight cents worth of gas, would you? The attendant looked at me curiously, probably supposing I had been drinking. Eight cents is all I've got, I said, hoping he might offer to extend credit. Well, he drawled, if that's all you got, then I suppose that's all I can sell you. He took the nozzle off the pump, inserted it into my tank, and gave me exactly eight cents worth of gas to the drop. Heavy darkness had fallen by the time I drove a short distance. I kept working on a formula in my mind to determine when the fuel would be exhausted, wondering if I ought to stop, and yet urged on by the conviction which had followed my prayers for guidance. 
Around a turn in the road, my headlights picked up the form of a chap about my age thumbing a ride. I never pick up hitchhikers. My father had been robbed by vagrants. Newspapers carried several stories telling of people murdered by those they had picked up. So I decided not to expose myself to this kind of danger. By a strange compulsion, however, I veered off the road and braked to stop just ahead of the hiker. Hey, fella, he exclaimed as he scooted in beside me. Thanks for stopping. A farmer dropped me off here in the middle of nowhere a couple hours ago, and I'd about given up on trying to hail a car. I thought, sure, I'd have to hoof it to the next town. I shifted carefully into low, slowly letting out the clutch, cautiously pressed the accelerator. I was determined to get every possible bit of yardage out of the skimpy fuel supply. How far are you going? My new companion asked. I'm not sure, I replied. My eyes drifted to the gas gauge. How far are you going? I live in Marion, Ohio, he said. That's just beyond Lima. Right, you going that far? I live in Lima. Then that's where you're going? I explained my predicament. Look, he said laughing, I'm no highway bum. I've got a good job, but with money still tight the way it is, I try to save any way I can. So I just hitchhiked to Chicago for a little vacation. I'm on my way back to Marion. I've got money. Pull into the next gas station. We'll gas up for the trip back to Lima. I breathe a prayer of gratitude. Amen. Oh, wow. Yeah, many times while driving towards Chicago on Route 30, I stopped at that gas station in Valparaiso just so I could roll down the window, draw a deep breath, and say, fill her up. So far as I'm concerned, experiences like this have occurred far too often to be called coincidental. At my moment of need, whatever that need, God would intercede on my behalf. He is that kind of God. Not some far off celestial being, but an intimate, personal, concerned friend. He knows the very number of hairs on your heads. A sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his knowledge. He clothes the lilies, causes the grass to grow. But his greatest concern is to surround every one of his children with blessing and guidance. Knowing God, walking with him, depending upon his guidance, became integral to my existence. But I was only a novice in his ways. I still am. The successful Christian life consists of a a triangle. Reading the Bible, conversing with God through prayer, telling others of your faith. The first two dimensions had begun to mature in my experience. But the third, witnessing, had been largely neglected. And I think that's true for many of us. True, I had not kept mute about my faith. I had witnessed. But my highest delight was in seeing God meet my temporal needs, get me out of problems, help me overcome obstacles in selling. As a salesman, I felt guilty at times in using praise as a gimmick. I always tried to be pleasant with a client whether or not he gave me an order. Often, I encountered profane men, a pathetic weakness, and my heart would be exercised by a desire to tell them of the transforming encounter they could have with Jesus Christ. More often than not, however, I kept quiet. Telling a man he was a sinner, hell-bent, but for the grace of God, somehow didn't seem compatible with the career of a salesman. I met with all my grit and gumption to become a highly successful salesman. On occasion, especially if business had been good, 
I would identify myself as a church man. I love my church, benefited much from its ministry, made every effort to get back to Lima on Sunday so I could attend both morning and evening services. But by no stroke of accuracy could you have called me an effective witness to the Christian faith, and it troubled me. Through the years, I met many Christians. Whenever we got into the subject of witness, these spiritual kinsmen of mine talk about how much they want to witness to their faith in Christ, but how seldom and ineffectively they do it. One rarely runs across a Christian who is calloused on the matter. More likely, one encounters those sweltering under the guilt of realizing how far they fall short of Christ's command. This was my case. I had an insatiable desire to succeed in business. Making money was the game of games, and I wanted to be a home run king. I would fall asleep thinking of better ways to promote sales, dream about selling, and awaken the next morning with my head full of ideas on how to expand my market. Though I remained very conscious of my faith and its significance to life, business came first. When I prayed, it was usually a prayer for God's blessing on my sales contacts. In the desire to expand, I began planning sales trips beyond my normal sphere of contact. It is typical of salesmen to think the grass will be greener on another street. One early foray took me to Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota, where I determined to initiate a drove of new contacts. I learned that a big country like America has a lot of different traits peculiar to each particular area. What had been good sales jargon in Ohio, Indiana, and in Kentucky fell flat as I explored westward. One night, blistered with discouragement, I pulled into a small town and checked into the hotel. Alone in my room, I fell to my knees by the bed, my face burrowed into my hands. I've got troubles, Lord, I prayed. I've been gone eight days, and I haven't even made expenses. People don't get the point of my presentation. It's so cold, I have to pay to have my car pushed every morning. I need business. Please help me. I knelt there in silence after that, waiting. I guess I expected God to reach down and touch me with love and assurance. Instead, I seemed to hear him say, Just a moment, Stanley. This is a two-way arrangement we have. You want me to bless me in your business contacts, and you know I've been doing it, but why should I help you anymore? You don't do anything for me. I didn't do anything for God? Absurd. Didn't I attend church every Sunday? Didn't I read my Bible faithfully? Did I pray about all my decisions, being careful to thank God for the many blessings he sent my way? The more I thought about it, though, the more forcefully it hit me. My relationship to God had been pretty much a one-way street. You could hardly call it doing him a service to read the Bible, to attend church, and thus receive inspiration for a richer life, to have the privilege of prayer whenever I needed divine assistance. I took an honest look at myself that night and didn't like what I saw. I was pushing harder and harder in my business. I kept myself under pressure. I yearned for success. My relatives and friends were watching me. I wanted to impress them with my ability to emerge from shyness and ineptitude into a shiny example of the local boy who makes good. That hotel room became a sanctuary as I confessed to God my selfishness and my cowardice. I want to give myself completely to you, I prayed. From now on, my whole life is yours. Come in and take full control. 
Whatever you ask me to do, no matter what it is, I'll submit to the best of my ability. I will look to you for the strength and guidance to do what you ask me to do. I got to my feet and paced the floor. There was a newness in my heart, a buoyancy. God had led me to take a major step in my spiritual metamorphosis, a step out of obedience, a step of obedience. It is my desire to make this one word central to my endeavor as a Christian. Trust and obey, the Bible tells us. It is a simple concept. It has profound overtones. And the very first step in obedience is to subordinate ourselves to the wisdom and will of God. When we do this, God will begin to ask for actions which denote obedience. These may seem fearful at times, invariably, for this is the way God brings us to utter dependence. He will ask us to do things which are contrary to our own desires and preconceived notions. In my case, the command was to witness. How, God, I prayed. You know my mouth is a machine gun when it comes to talking about a product, but my tongue turns to stone when I think of warning men about their lostness, telling them of the redemption they can find in Christ. I thought perhaps God was only testing me as he tested Abraham in the near sacrifice of Isaac. God knew my weakness. He surely didn't want me to discredit him by being a poor witness. Well, God doesn't ask for performance beyond our ability unless he provides the measure of strength necessary to project ourselves beyond ourselves. He did realize my frailty, my timidity, but in my Bible I had a couple of tracts I had received from our church. They were beautifully printed in contrast to the many to many of the smudgy Christian leaflets I had seen in the past, which, though I'm sure they were produced with every good intention, hardly did credit to the resplendent realities I was finding in life with Christ. These well-prepared leaflets impressed me. That's why I had slipped a couple of them into my Bible. Here's a way I could witness. I could secure well-written, artistically produced gospel tracts and give them to people I met in my travels. Thus began a mode of witness which I still practice. Oh, I realize how many people look uh, askance at the gospel tract, but if we print literature to advertise worthwhile products, why isn't it just as feasible to use a similar method to promote free, the free gift of salvation provided in Jesus Christ? And whatever our attitude may be, the fact remains that as Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives prior to his ascension into heaven, the last words he said to his disciples were, You shall be witnesses unto me. He has not rescinded that command, and the Christian only avoids it through disobedience. Amen. So that's Mr. Stanley's uh, conversion. I thought it would be interesting to see. You know, many of us have been down a similar road. You know, there are times where we've had questions. Uh, from in God early on and desired to have those questions answered and hopefully he's reassured us all of our place in his kingdom but I think there is a point where it gives us insight and understanding and how we can help others to get past those rough places where they're in doubt as to 
does God really love me? Does he want me to serve him? Am I qualified? Am I not qualified? All of those things God will answer for us. So there's no reason for any of us to be in doubt about the goodness of God, about God's desire to use us, about God's ability to lead us everywhere. He leads us to where we go. And and we can be assured uh, that we are in the will of God. Am I done with my time this one? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this time in your presence, this time in an understanding of your word. Thank you, Lord, that for giving us this testimony of this simple man who worked through difficulties to become a powerful soul winner in your kingdom, Lord. Step by step, he didn't leap there and he didn't plunge there and he didn't vault himself there. But step by faltering step, he was able to find his way through confidence in you through your word. Help us to get a greater appreciation for your word God it's my prayer that everyone here would understand who they are in you and be on that great quest to be your servant and to be your child and to be your friend and we thank you for that Lord in Jesus name amen and praise God if anybody needs prayer come on up and I'll pray for you